Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. I don't know if you can hear that golf clap online, but it's, it's great here, let me tell you what. Uh, no, I, I love that point. Uh, I love Matt's point. You know, what we're going to try to do over these next few weeks is to try to give everybody at home a little slice of everything. Look, we're going we're gonna to do our best to figure this out as we go. As you may know, we, we came up with this decision through much thought uh, and uh, careful consideration, uh, but we had to make this choice uh, pretty fast, okay? And so it could look different next week. We might, we might be able to come back sooner than we thought. Look, we're considering a lot of things, and we appreciate your trust, appreciate you giving us time to sort this out. As, as you've heard, uh, this is 2020. I guess this is kind of what we were leaning into to tell you kind of a funny story at home. And I'm going to imagine that you're laughing at all of my jokes now, by the way. So normally I can't really hear if you're laughing, but I just kind of hope that you are. And now I'm just going to assume that you are. Uh, okay. So the Lord's been giving me words all year that have been very encouraging and, and all of them have been happening. And one of the things he said to me, he said, uh, he said, Javen, I'm bringing him home for Christmas. Okay. I assumed we were talking about souls, okay? So I was assuming that we were talking about people coming to the church. Well, maybe God, with a little bit of a sense of humor, was letting me know he's sending everybody home, okay? So uh, even though you're at home right now, look, I really do want to encourage you just to help us spread this message, okay? Help us spread the message of grace. Uh, the mission's not over, okay? If anything, uh, this time of year is the time of year when people uh, seem to struggle the most, as, as others have said, um, this is that time of year that can, that can have some heaviness to it. So please, 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 we encourage you to invite your friends, invite your families. Uh, look, if you feel comfortable having people in your homes, then do that. You can watch things together or on places like Facebook or on our live stream, which hopefully you're on. Uh, you can invite people to come join you there. And I encourage you guys, chat, okay? That's such a weird thing to say, but chat during church, okay? Talk during church. Uh, ask for prayer if you need prayer, okay? You got a lot of saints around you that would love uh, to offer that encouragement, okay? So here we are together. I, I may occasionally look around the room as if you're here. Uh, old habits die hard. Uh, but we've been talking about uh, this upside-down Christmas, which man, oh man, uh, aptly named uh, for this year. But um, we, we, we've been talking about these, few, these past few weeks about how God is, number one, a giver without a gift. That's weird. Like, how can he be a giver and he doesn't bring anything? Well, he brought himself, and we know that he, he not only brought himself, but he pulled us to himself. Like he revealed what he was really like. And if you see what God is really like, you're, you're going to want to go to him. Uh, I love that he came and, and, and showed us the kind of crown he wanted. It wasn't our crown, which was a crown of thorns, right? He rejected that crown. He wore our crown so that he could make us his crown. Uh, it, it's, it's an incredible thing to think that God has surrounded himself uh, with his story of love towards us, and that that would be what he wants everyone to see forever. Uh, it's very humbling, and yet it's incredible to think about. And today I want to talk about how he was a priest. In fact, he was a high priest, but what temple? I mean, we, we know in 70 AD that the temple was going to be destroyed, or we know that standing on this side of history. But so what temple was he coming to be a priest to or in? Uh, well, well, we'll take a look at that together this morning. 
All right, to back up in the story, we remember that Mary went to Elizabeth. She, uh, she had come to her to, to express this great news and found out that Elizabeth, in her old age, also uh, was pregnant. Okay, something completely strange, completely weird. Uh, Zachariah, you know the story, he couldn't speak. And, and in this moment where, where they come to circumcise John eight days in, she says his name's going to be John. Now, this didn't make any sense, and everybody standing around is saying, there's nobody in your family with the name John Let's ask the dad, and finally the dad could speak, and when he spoke, he said, no, his name is John, and he launches into this incredible proclamation, right? God works through him, speaks straight through him, and he proclaims this amazing news, which you can read with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 72. He starts off, by the way, before this saying, God has redeemed us, he saved us, uh, he's the Messiah, and then he says this, he's doing this to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. If you remember, I mean, it's been a long time since all these words had come. It's been a long time since Abraham at this point. Like, a lot of people had kind of thought, maybe we missed, maybe we've lost it. Maybe it's a lost cause. There's no Messiah coming. They, there were many people who felt like it was over, okay? And so I love that in his prophecy, what he shouts out is, is that God shows mercy. Like, that's what he's like. And who does he show it to? The ones he has, he has given a promise to. So you and I, by the way, just to fast forward, we stand on a really good promise, which means God will always show mercy to you. It's a really good uh, thing about him. And he says he does this to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Notice how much fear has been in this story. And here he is saying that, no, the point of God coming is that there would not be fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. All right, you and I hear that in a totally different way than they did. We stand at the end of the story, so to speak. We know where this is all headed. They were hearing this thinking Finally, the Messiah is here to, to rid us of our enemies, right? To take care of them, to smash them, whatever you want to say. And we know that the promise had something to do uh, instead with the destruction of a temple. Okay, and that's why I want to focus on today is there is a temple that's going to be destroyed and you and I should be so thankful that it was destroyed. And no, I'm not referencing the temple that came down in 70 A.D., but in this moment, Mary, all surrounding all of this, you have this moment where Mary finds out, for example, that I'm, I'm going to be the mother, but God is going to be the father. Like, I, that's a humbling thing. But the seed that was coming to, to Mary wasn't uh, in, in her normal line, right? It was from Abraham, right? It was, excuse me, it's from God, the promise made to Abraham that this seed would be fulfilled in Jesus, so here, here she is experiencing all of this, seeing this, this king of kings come to the world. And listen to what Zechariah 6 says about this. Take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. There's a name. The high priest. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. There is one coming. In this moment, I love this, God prophesies forward about Jesus saying, there is one that's coming who's going to build a temple. So that means that the temple that was already standing was going to have to go. And again, I'm not talking about the physical temple that we all think of in AD 70 coming down. So he was going to build a new temple, and it wasn't going to be like anything we had ever seen Jesus would fulfill this role 
of being both a king and the high priest. You know, you can imagine what kind of battles took place between a king and a high priest. You know, they're both really important. One's talking to God, one's the king. I mean, you know there was some arguments because there was no peace. And I love that Jesus comes together and marries these two things together in relationship with us and that both you answer to him, I am king, and oh, by the way, I am how you interact with the Father. I'm going to show you how good God is as a priest, as a real priest, one who demonstrates the gospel and shows, uh, shows God's love to the world. Psalm 110.4 said it this way, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I love this. Psalm 110, I mean, this is a while after Melchizedek had walked the earth. I, don't, I know nobody really fully understands who this man was, okay? He could have been a, he's definitely a type of Christ, you know? He definitely could have even been the Lord himself, you know, in some ways. Uh, but this, this mysterious priest who had, we don't know his beginning. We don't know really where he got his priesthood. We don't really know all of these factors. And yet, in Genesis 14, on the, on, the, on the end of a battle, right, Abraham or Abram just, just defeated somebody he should not have been able to defeat. Like, he was outnumbered. Uh, it should not have gone this way. And instead, he, he has the victory thanks to God. And in his weakness, he saw how powerful the father was working through a smaller army to defeat a larger one. So these kings come out afterwards to congratulate him, and one of these guys is a king priest named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek shows up, and he comes only with things to give, only with things to offer. And I love that he shows up with bread and wine. (laughs) Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, Jesus later would have some bread and wine demonstrating that he too is a king priest. But anyway, in this moment, I love that he comes out with bread and wine and blesses Abram. He blesses him. He says, you are highly favored. In fact, he even says, Abram, God is blessed by you. (laughs) How often do you remember that God is blessed by you? And he says he's blessed by you because you, you leaned on him for strength instead of going with your own strength. See, Jesus was, or, you know, God throughout all scripture is showing us this picture of what Jesus was going to be like. That in our weakness is where we will find the ultimate strength. And he, and he says this so many different times in so many different ways. So Jesus himself was going to be like this. And for him to be like this, things were going to have to change. And in fact, an entire priesthood was going to have to change. A temple was going to have to come down. I mean, for things to exist the way that God wanted them to be, something else had to go away first. And I want to look at that together. But here's the thing is that we all couldn't be, if we were promised to be a kingdom of priests, well, there's a real issue in that. I don't know about you, but I wasn't born into the tribe of Levi. I I have no no way in to any of that. And yet, our ultimate high priest comes from a tribe where there is no priesthood. We don't know what to do with this. Judah, like you're a lion from the tribe of Judah. There's no no script for this. So I love how Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what he says. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. There's one mediator. There is one person. It's not me, thank God. It's not, it's not a confession booth somewhere. No, it, it's one person, that's Jesus. And when he comes, he clears the room just so you can be with just him. And he says, I pass no judgment on you. <laughs> I've come to give you life and breath. The Bible says that's who he gives to everybody. He gives life and breath. And I love that this is the kind of God he is. He sits with us. He, there's a moment with a Samaritan woman, for example, uh, who he should never have been talking to. 
they were arguing about the temple. They were arguing about where the temple should be. All of this was improper. And Jesus didn't really care. I mean, he, he loved this person. And he's sitting with her. And he shares something with her about this temple issue. This is what he says in John 4.24. He goes, look, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, what he's saying is, is that I know you guys sing really great. You know, some of you guys sound okay. You know, but that's not what this is really about. Worship is this communion or being in union with God. It's not the songs that we sing or where we sing them. What he's saying is that you've got to understand that nothing that you see that you think is right side up is. It's actually upside down. You've got to see things the right way around. And to see that, Jesus knew he would have to destroy a temple, a high priest destroying a temple. Let's take a look at it together. John 18, verse 33. Pilate went back into the praetorium, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, Are you saying this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate responds, Am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this realm. Then you are a king, Pilate says. You, you say that I am a king, Jesus answered. For this reason I was born. In other words, let me clarify why I'm here. And have come into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, Pilate says. Wow, do you catch the big miss? <laughs> it's a massive miss that every single one of us would have made standing in that moment. Here is Jesus saying, you're the one telling me who I am. I, I've not ever said any of this stuff. Like, you're, you're telling me. And Pilate references an idea that's more associated with, like, Greek philosophers in that what is truth? Like, what is your truth? I mean, if you're living in the 21st century, you're hearing that phrase too many times right now, right? Everybody has their own truth that perceptions are people's realities and, and, and everything. These, these are just concepts to, to help explain how, how fallible we all are. We, we just don't see things objectively. We see things subjectively or through our lenses, and what Jesus is saying is, is that that's not what truth is. Truth is objective truth. It's love. <laughs> love is the ultimate reality. So, so we have this word aletheia, which Pilate would have been using in this moment, which means truth, but it's synonymous for this idea of reality. So it's, it's not something that can be argued about. So here is Jesus saying, I'm going to show you what truth is. Pilate is saying, what is truth? When really what Jesus was saying, who is truth? <laughs> See, it's upside down. It's not the way you and I see the world. We, we look for uh, reason. We look for truths, uh, plural. And Jesus is saying, no, Pilate, you missed it. You're standing before reality itself. You're standing before the only thing that actually exists in the universe is standing in front of you. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? You can picture Jesus saying this, I'm not here to convince you of a new moral truth. I'm here to show you the reality of what I am is like, and he's full of grace. I mean, even in the midst of being beaten and spat upon, he's still offering grace because that's who he is, and it's what he's always going to offer you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said about him, no matter how many times you curse his name, he will always give you grace because he loves you. You know, before this moment, this, this joke of a moment with Pilate, 
uh, he had another complete sham of a process that he went through in front of the Sanhedrin. He, he gets pulled in. Really, you can do your own research, but if you look into how they did this, uh, this trial, if you will, uh, when they did it, uh, who they did it to, all the different things were wrong. And they did all of this in some kind of name of truth. Okay, that was their whole thing. Let's, let's catch this together. I love that people were sharing this, and it was so unbelievable. The Bible even says that their stories, it didn't line up. They were bringing in false witnesses. Can you testify about Jesus? And there was nothing they could find about Jesus because he's only loving people everywhere he goes. But some said this in Mark 14, verse 57. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. <laughs> well, that's pretty ridiculous. Like, if you imagine Jesus walking around in sandals and a robe or whatnot, you know, and he's praying for people, he's raising people from the dead, this dude's not going to destroy a temple. Like, he cleaned out a temple once because people were robbing people blind. But no, Jesus is not going to physically go destroy a massive temple, okay? And, and I love that Jesus doesn't even bother to respond. He just stands there like, yeah, okay, this is ridiculous. You know, he just stands there in total silence. But then they ask him a question. What is truth, essentially? They look at him and they say, but are you the Messiah? Are you the truth? And look at what he says in verse 62. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him, deserving of death. And they began to slap him and spit on him. For what? I mean, honestly, you look at this going, God orchestrated all of this to himself. You remember what Jesus actually said, right? Well, we're going to look at that. Let's look at what Jesus actually said. John 2, verse 18. The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Now, Jesus had just cleaned out a temple, okay? They were robbing the poor people, and he had enough. He came in and cleared it. And they're like, Who in the world is this guy? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He didn't say he was going to destroy this temple. He was inviting them to destroy this temple. The Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You remember, the, the goal was to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus was taunting them, saying, come destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up. <laughs> Bring it on. In fact, I want you to destroy the temple of the flesh. It was always the plan for all of us to die in him so that we could live a new life in him as well. So what nobody realized was is that Jesus was not there to level a temple. He knew that was happening in 70 AD. He was asking them to put him on a cross. I know that's scandalous and crazy and all of that, but he knew where he was headed. And he wanted it because of what he saw for you and for me. Mark 15, here's Jesus up on the cross, and those passing by hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. Even the high priests and the scribes, the Bible says, walk past him, the very ones who put him on that cross. And they said, 
You said you're going to save all of us. You said that you're going to save. You can't even save yourself. And they made fun of him, not realizing that once again, he was remaining silent because he was getting everything he wanted. (laughs) He was up on a cross doing the very thing they were taunting him about, saving the world by destroying this temple. He remained silent. Now, you remember the veil, it tears from the top to the bottom, right? Jesus, the clouds, and all this stuff happens. And when he says it's finished, the pathway into the Holy of Holies was wide open. In other words, God's not there anymore. This is not the way things are anymore. This temple, it was going to come down anyway, but something bigger had changed. Jesus, the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, it wasn't the temple, the veil that tore, really. It was his flesh that was torn in two. The pathway to God was being created through the destruction of a temple and the building up of a brand new temple where we could worship in spirit and truth. Oh, it gets so exciting from here. (laughs) All right, so Stephen, you remember Stephen, right? He comes later. He goes to the same exact thing as the first martyr of the church that Jesus did in his moment. He stands before the same exact people now, who are accusing him, and they're now shouting at him. And Stephen's temple is about to be destroyed, and it's the best thing ever, and I'm going to show you why. He says this, in this moment where he's talking about the temple itself, he goes, listen, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? So here's Stephen realizing as as Jesus showed, as we all get, that it's not about a building, right? If Boy, if there's ever a time to say that phrase, it's right now as you guys are all home. It's not about a building. In fact, it's about this building that God has created in all of us spiritually. So here he is saying that. He goes, you think God wants to come in? Well, I don't care how elaborate you think this place is. You think this is where God wants to spend his time? You think God wants to hang out in a bunch of dirty vessels? No, we already knew that wasn't true. And so Stephen, in this moment, he looks up to the heavens, and verse 55 says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And every single one of those same people who heard Jesus say that that was going to happen knew that Jesus and Stephen never talked. (laughs) So in that moment, they realized he's saying the same exact thing because the temple was being destroyed and a new temple was being built. I love this. I love this. They drive him out of the city, and they stone him on the ground as Saul is standing there holding coats for people as they're throwing rocks at Stephen. And Stephen, you would think maybe he would be upset. And instead, this is what he says. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Let me tell you something. When you're a priest in the new temple, all you have is forgiveness for people. All you have is love for people. All you have is mercy and peace for people. You never stand in judgment of people ever. Because in this temple, he is the light. He is love. And he is the life that fills us. So I love this. Even though Stephen never got to hang out with Jesus, he may never have seen all the scene on the cross and everything, he still sits there and says the exact same thing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, basically. I can see you. I can see this new temple that you have created. They don't. Let them destroy this one if they'll help them see it. 
And in this moment, there's Saul taking coats, watching grace play out in front of him. And you don't think that had an impact on him? You don't think that later when he gets knocked off his horse, he doesn't reference the things that Stephen said? Well, he does. I'm going to tell you because in Acts chapter 17, this is what he says. The God that made the world and all the things in it. Now, this is Paul now. He is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. I would say he watched Stephen and wrote down what Stephen said. He took those notes with him and realized that there was something greater now. Now here's, here's Paul in a moment standing before others now saying the exact same thing. Wait a minute. No, God's not in these buildings, guys. No, he made a new temple with us. It was based on better promises, based on a better mediator. Everything about it was better. Let's read a couple more verses together. Hebrews 6, 17 through 20 says this. In the same way God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, that's you and me, remember Abraham's family that goes on and on and grows and grows and grows, the unchangeableness of his purpose, God's not going to change, he interposed with an oath. He makes a promise on top of the fact that he doesn't change. I mean, how good can this get? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge. Who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement. You and I have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Mel's service never ended. He never traded off to somebody else as the Israelites did from time to time, right? He, he was a high priest forever. So that means every bit of strong encouragement that you and I have is forever. Every bit of hope that you and I have, which by the way, that word hope, it means a guarantee. It's not like our language. So the guarantee that you and I have is that he is going to be a high priest forever. He's going to be your high priest forever. It's never going to change. <laughs> and he's based all of that on a promise that he made all the way back to Abraham. He, God doesn't change. He's always going to stay the same. He's always going to be grace. He's always going to be love. He's always going to chase you down whether you deserve it or not or whatever we think. He's going to come to you and reveal how good he is to you because he wants you to grab onto that anchor and hold on. Right? It's the only thing that really gets us through this life, if you will, is during these times at Christmas and these hard times that we've said that some of us, it feels that way. Boy, you have a strong encouragement and you have a hope that your high priest knows you. He knows you intimately. And also, he's the king. He can get anything he wants, do anything he wants. And he offers that to you as, as an anchor for your soul. It's quite an anchor for our soul. <laughs> 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Ephesians 5, 28 says this. He puts it in another way. Paul writes this. So husbands, love your own wives, love their own, okay, let's try this again. Husbands ought also to love their own wives and their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, I love this picture that God gives. You know, when we do marriage counseling, we talk about people getting married. When I get to marry 
off to lovebirds. You know, I always remember to tell them something that I've seen in Scripture and I've seen in my own life. And that is that you're no longer, well, let's take me and Brooke. It's no longer Javen and Brooke, for example, in their individual lives, right? Those people died and they've created this brand new thing together where it's our life together. Right? And that's the imperfect human version that we all attempt at and, and, and forget at uh, all the time. But I love that the encouragement comes from God. He goes, well, guess what? He's a really good husband. <laughs> like, he's the best. He makes all the rest of us look pretty bad. And he never forgets anything, never forgets the anniversary, always gives you the right gift. I mean, he's amazing, right? Makes breakfast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> And I love this, is that what Scripture says to us is that the same way that we care for our own bodies, we try to work out and eat healthy and all this kind of stuff, he says that he sees you as his precious body, <laughs> whom he loves like his own. He loves like his own self. Look at what he says. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Catch that, because that's for me and you and him. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church, he says. So no, this wasn't a bunch of marriage help, even though that's what we typically go to this for. He says, no, in fact, I'm just trying to get you to see how precious you are to him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says that you are Christ's body and individual members of it. I don't fully understand that, I'll be honest. I can't picture this the way that I'm sure it actually is. But what I'm seeing here is that God loves us so much that he loves us like we are his wife, that he considers one with him, joined in union with him. How often do we remember how close we are to God? Well, I'm just far away from God right now, and that's impossible because you're joined to him. <laughs> well, I know, but I've just really wandered in the desert. for. Well, that's great, but you're wandering with him. <laughs> it's his life in you. He's not going to let go. He is the head, we are the body. He is the high priest, we are priests. He is the light, we are the temple. We are a city set on a hill. Like, we're all in this together. Ephesians 2 then says this, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In, in whom? The whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is where the temple really is, in spirit and truth, in whom you're being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So the temple had to go. It wasn't the physical temple that had to go. In fact, if things had gone differently, maybe it didn't need to come down. But, but because of the angst of the world, everything here dies and gets destroyed. Instead, what I love is, is that here is God saying, we are this dwelling place for him. God delights in you and has made you a holy temple in the Lord. It's not a physical temple anymore. This temple, we all know, is going to go <laughs> so that the real temple can be revealed. So the priest, in fact, did have a temple. And in Psalm 110.4, as we read earlier, it says this, The Lord has sworn... He's not going to change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And the verse that comes after this, this moment where he says, you're going to be a priest forever, never going to change, never going to change my mind, this is what it says about you and me right after that. 
Your people will be arrayed in holy splendor from the womb of dawn as children full of life, both youthful and excited. So because he's going to be a priest forever and because he's going to be the best priest you could possibly imagine, the one who communes with and intercedes with God on behalf of all of us, you will be clothed in splendor of the dawn, like you are brand new, showing off all of your youthfulness, all of your excitedness, all of that is in him for the world to see because you have been made into the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Eric was saying earlier. He was not a priest without a temple. He was a priest making his temple. (laughs) And he made it in us so that we could be shown off in the ages to come to show off how lavish his grace is, how lavish this God is. I don't know about you, but it, it just feels incredibly humbling, but also really, really exciting to be a part of something that we can't even fully understand, but the promise is is that it will always be so, so good. So I don't know what you're needing right now in this season. I don't know what you're praying for and asking God for. He's not far away. In fact, he's in you. He delights in you. (laughs) Delight in him. Listen to him. Walk with him. Trust him. No matter what your reality looks like, it may look like it's upside down, but it may actually just be right side up. Weakness is strength here. Trust him. Let me pray for everybody at home. Father, we, uh, we love you so much. We are so thankful that this upside down thing was actually right side up. Lord, it's so amazing to see that you, you had people tear down the temple for you so you could show them grace, so that you could show them the foundation of the new temple is you. Father, I pray for everyone out there who's going through things right now. Lord, if it's, if it's health-related, then, Lord, we talk straight to the healer. And we say, in Jesus' name, I, I command everybody who's sick to be healed right now. If you're at home, just touch the area of your body and agree. Just say, all right, right now, in Jesus' name, I receive that healing. And I believe that God is going to heal you right now. If it's finances, if it's Christmas time, if it's emotions, whatever it is, Lord, I pray As we take these things to you, you'll do what you do best and remove those burdens from us and instead give us your love and your peace and your life and your breath. God, we stand with a guarantee of your love for us. Thank you for being the most amazing high priest. We look forward to enjoying your service forever. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching online. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back here next week, okay? Invite a friend, invite someone to join you for a watch party, and we'll continue this series and see what happens next. We'll see you next time.